Right, hello, good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, wherever in the world you are. Um, I'm Dan, as always, and this week we have Paul. Good evening. And I am delighted to welcome for his second debut, Khan. Good evening, pleased to be here. Well, Khan, let's hope that your second debut goes better than Paul's goals, his better second spell at Manchester United. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Um, we'll get straight on, gents. Um, we've got a lot to talk about this week. Where I'd like to start this time, um, often we, we do like, have our focus on the Premier League, as that's where all three of our loyalties lie. Um, it was very sad news in the week just gone that we've lost another football team, another football team that, in my opinion, has been let, been let down by um, the governing bodies. Um, so, really sad news. Goodbye, Macclesfield Town. Thanks for the memories. Yeah, it's it's very sad, Dan. And um, you know, I've been trying to uh, trying to work out and sort of piece together from the information that's out there ex- exactly what's what's gone on at Macclesfield. And it, it it is a bit of a sorry tale. It, it, it appears that um, a gentleman by the name of Amar Akadi, who's I think half Iraqi, um, who first invested in the club in the in the mid noughties with his brother, but it, it seems as though basically for the last. Um, number of years he's been acting as a sort of one-man band the only director the only member of the board um and been doing that while uh while living in ibiza which i'm not sure is hugely conducive to effectively running a football club in in cheshire um and and there's been a, a number of financial problems for for a few years i think actually date back before macclesfield came back into the football league in 2018 um you know, one of the one of the people who who's claiming money from the club that that came out at the high court last week is is John Askey, who was the manager when they were promoted from the conference. He immediately left to to take originally the Shrewsbury job, and is now is now actually doing a really good job at Port Vale. Um, but but he's suing the club for unpaid wages as well, and obviously he he was left by the time they got back into the football league. So these financial problems, I think, are predating. Um, the, the return to the Football League. It seems that there's a, a sort of veil of secrecy around exactly what is happening to the money that's going into the club and what that money's been used for. There's there's the normal sort of speculation about whether some of it has been used for purposes other than, than football and whether it's propping up other businesses that Mr. Accardi's been involved in. I, I think I think he, he says not and, and, and it's sort of relatively unclear and I, I certainly make no um, you know, don't profess to know the truth of, of that situation. Um, but, but clearly there's a mess there. Uh, they've been struggling financially since the point they returned to the Football League. Um, you know, Sol Campbell took over as manager and left relatively quickly. Again, a situation where he hadn't been paid, his players hadn't been paid. And, and, and I think there's an element of this, while the, the, the problems predated their return to professional football, if you like, um, of... of a club who just could not afford ultimately to be in the football league. Tiny gates, a couple of thousand people, um, the smallest budget in the football league when they were in the football league. It now seems, you know, they've been kicked out of the conference, having been relegated on the sort of points per game methodology at the end of last season. Um, but having had a points deduction before that as well. So a really, really sorry state of affairs. And, um, 
you know, we're hoping to maybe get somebody closer to the situation to, to talk to us on a separate occasion um, about exactly what might happen next with Macclesfield. But but as you say, Dan, a real a real sorry tale for a club who I th- I'm, I'm pretty sure I read this right today. They're 20 miles down the road from Manchester United and Manchester City, but were formed before either of them. Um, and again, when you look at the sort of money, I know all the football's struggling at the moment with, with the, the coronavirus crisis, but when you look at the sort of money that will be spent this summer by those two massive clubs in Manchester and, and for the sake of half a million pounds, um, Macclesfield are, are no more. It's tragic. Uh, it's an all too familiar story. I mean, obviously, Bull, uh, Wigan sorry, haven't gone bust, but uh, they got relegated and they may well go again. Uh, two games, two defeats. A very young squad. Um, yeah, it's it's a really really sad situation, and uh, as as Paul said, hopefully we'll have someone on to discuss this this week with us, and we'll do a special podcast on that matter if that's the case. If we then get straight into the the weekend action, um, first up the the game at Goodison on Saturday morning was bonkers really, and Slavenfield certainly did go bonkers at half time. Um, did, did you, did you gentlemen give it a watch? I did. I, I saw most of it, Dan. I, I, I missed the sort of start of the second half, um, but I, I, I certainly saw all the first half and, and the sort of end of the game. Um, I mean, lots of goals. Uh, I think we talked last week about the fact that West Brom will have to defend better to stay in the Premier League. That's definitely still true. Um, I mean, I, I do wonder about the quality there. Their back line seems to be a list of people who weren't quite good enough at Arsenal. Um, Kyle Bartley and, uh, and and Kieran Gibbs, who obviously got himself sent up, sent off among them. Um, they did play some nice football in the first half going forward, uh, West Brom, and they created some chances. And that's maybe on the flip side, the question about Everton as well as whether they're, they're quite tight enough at the back. But... Um, you know, West Brom just have to defend better because I know they've played Everton and, and Leicester and they may be two of the, the teams who end up in that top half of the table. But if West Brom can't defend better than they have so far, they're in for a long, long season. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I agree with what you said, Paul. I mean, I saw a, a decent chunk of the game. Um, and yeah, I think that the West Brom side, you know, is, is the one team that everyone seems to think might be might be doomed already before not many balls have been kicked, which is perhaps a bit harsh. But you look through that team and you don't see lots of Premier League quality in there. Like you say, it's either players who haven't made it uh, or have, have never had a crack and, and probably for a good reason. Um, so I think, yeah, there's, it's going to be a, a, a long gold season for them. But equally, you never know. Probably shouldn't write them off quite this early. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough one. But I think their, their fans seem to be kind of going into it with the right expectations. They've been a bit of a yo-yo side over the last sort of 10, 15 years coming up and down every couple. So uh, they, they know what the Premier League's about and they know what to expect. And I guess they know, they know how, how tough it is. Um, I think what what I do want to want to mention on on this though is um, which may or may not be a controversial view is I'm I'm not buying tickets yet to the Everton Hype Express. I don't know about <laughs> you guys. Uh, they're apparently the best team ever, um, and like and you know look clearly they've had you know a, gre- a great start and you know they had a miserable season last season um, and so I understand that with getting a you know a sort of a proper manager in. Um, as, as we might call him, and uh, you know, and, and spending a bit of money, it's, it's sort of understandable that there's optimism there, and then that's been kind of reinforced by, you know, by a very sort of goal laden start. 
Um, you know, it looks like Rodriguez has arrived with a bit of a point to prove. Um, but I think equally, you know, it's it's easy to get carried away after a couple of couple of games. You know, opening day games are always a bit of a a bit of a lottery. Um, and and then you know, obviously West Brom, as we said, are you know going to be probably one of the poorer sides in the league uh, this year. So I'll, I'll I'll refrain from fully uh, getting my first class ticket onto uh, <laughs> onto that particular train for 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 a few more games, particularly having seen. A few years ago, when we had a Real Madrid reject join us, and he had a great couple of months, and then proceeded to uh, capitulate and was sort of sold, and <laughs> not not too long after. I'm not saying that will happen with Rodriguez, by the way. Of course, it all comes down to individual players' attitudes. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get sort of too carried away so far. Um, but you know, equally, can understand from from Everton's perspective, it's it, you know, it couldn't they couldn't have really had much of a better start so far. So understand the jubilation from their perspective. I don't know what what your take is, Dan, from being a fan of the red side of the city. Um, what your thoughts are? Um, well, I was just going to say, you're not insinuating that Marco Silva's a bad manager, are you? Can <laughs> um, no, no, not at all. Of course not. Uh, I, I freely admit I'm a bitter red. Um, and I was delighted when um, Dennis Pryor smacked in that fourth for, for Leicester yesterday because it knocked Everton off the top of the table. Um, but yeah, they've, they've got off to a really good start. I, I, no, no qualms about that. As, as uh, I said last week, I like Carlo Ancelotti. I think he's a fantastic manager and a fantastic man. He set up his team in the right way. Obviously, that's reflected that they stuck five on West Brom and they could have had a few more. And if it was later in the season... Maybe a bit of fitness. A bit more can, can we just can we just nominate though, Dan? Can we nominate uh, Calvert Lewin? Who I don't, I, you know, I, I was critical of him last week when he scored a good goal. I think he might have won the the award for the worst hat trick ever <laughs> on Saturday because <laughs> he sort of scuffed the first one in from about six yards out, and then the the second one he sort of slid in and it was probably going in anyway, and he goal hanged, touched it into the corner. And then the third one, which was supposedly a header, kind of came off the back of his neck. So um, it's got to be a contender for worst hat-trick of, of, I, of all time. I but, you know, look, there probably isn't ever a bad hat-trick. And as, as Khan said, Everton have got off to a decent start. I'll raise your dirt coach hat-trick against Manchester United in, I think it was 2011. <laughs> I think it was a combined range of five yards for, for all three goals. Um, I, I remember it well. I was cowering <laughs> under a table in a pub uh, during that game with my with my eyes closed. I remember it. Um, <laughs> um, the only other thing I was thinking with Everton, I'm sure we need to move on. But um, just you know, I think they finished was it 12th last season. It was you know it was a it was a bad season for them. And uh, but do even with all this excitement, do, do we realistically think they can finish any higher than seventh? Which, you know, is still five places higher than last season. So you could argue in, in any measure, you know, a five position swing up the table is constitutes a good season. Um, but, you know, do you really, do you see them being good enough to break the, you know, the big six stronghold, given they'll also be Leicester and Wolves sniffing around trying to do the same as, as Leicester did indeed last season? Um, I, I don't think they're as good as Leicester or Wolves at this point. So yeah. I, I think there's probably eight teams at the moment that I would say are better than Everton, and then Everton are in that next group of teams looking to kick on. Look, you know they may they may well do it, and and they do have some talented players. There's no doubt the likes of Rodriguez, and um, and even though he, he's he's an older player, Allen's come in and, and done well. And I've always liked the Coure. I thought that was a really good buy from Watford. Yeah. Um. But but I think you know. Uh, 
Yeah, at the moment, I, I still think top half is probably where Everton are looking rather than top six. Knowing Evertonians as I do, I think that they would probably be happy with an eighth or a ninth place finish, so long as that was supplemented by a good run into the cup. Because last, last year they got knocked out of the Carlin Cup quite early, if I recall. They got knocked out by Liverpool in the FA Cup third round, and basically the season was over in the first weekend of January. And I, I think if, if Carlo Ancelotti can kind of crack the cups a little bit, I think that a seventh or eighth place wouldn't be too bad. I think I think Everton would probably take that. I think that they want to, to make more progress in the Cups. That does seem to be something where they've had a struggle. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, if we then move on to um, to, uh, to Ellen Road, that was the three o'clock kickoff. Um, I didn't see too much of this because I had um, soccer Saturday and um, Colchester United against Bolton were prevalent in my afternoon. <laughs> Um, so it, it's Leeds are consistent if anything um, seven goals in each of their first two games but this time they were on the right side of a 4-3 scoreline yeah and I, I I did see this game Dan and I mean this was another slightly bonkers game I have to say I thought Leeds for an hour were fantastic played at a really high tempo um, made chances spread the ball about nicely uh got into dangerous positions, um, scored some good goals and and all the sort of things, again, we said about West Brom last week with their defending and it repeated exactly the same with Fulham. I mean, the fourth Leeds goal is a counter-attack down the left-hand side. Leeds have got a runner from midfield and the Fulham midfielders have barely moved, frankly, to track the run. Um, and when Scott Parker said at the end of the game that his players have to smell danger a bit better, I think they just have to see it. It's right in front of their faces. Um <laughs> And uh, and at that point, you're thinking this could get really messy for Fulham. There was half an hour left. It was 4-1. And then Fulham scored a nice goal to make it 4-2. It was a good finish by um, by Bobby Reid. Uh, and then all of a sudden, from nowhere, Leeds were hanging on. And I, I do wonder, it's been talked about in seasons before, hasn't it, that is Bielsa ball a sort of style of football that leaves you completely whacked by March. Um, and I wonder a little bit if, if within the tempo of a Premier League game, it, it left them a bit whacked by 65 minutes on Saturday. Um, and Fulham, you know, ended up 4-3 and I think they hit the post as well. So in the end, Leeds were hanging on a little bit, which for the first hour, you just couldn't see how Fulham were going to get anything out of the game. You know, the, the, the Fulham side that's come up this time looks a different proposition to the one that came up, um, you know, a couple of years ago. You know, a lot's been said about how they obviously just, they bought a whole new eleven that time and it, clearly didn't work and, and, you know, had about 11 managers, I think, by the end of the season. Um, whereas this time, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly under Scott Parker, who just seems a very sensible guy with good head on his shoulders as, 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 you know, they've largely kept, you know, I think most of the same team. So there'll always be that question of, is there the right quality? But I think they just feel a lot more stable and consistent. Um, I think, you know, they're obviously just at the moment trying to find their level a little bit in the Premier League. Um, whether they'll have enough ultimately to stay up, I don't know. But I don't see them, certainly don't see them having as you know calamitous a season as, as they had um, you know when they were last in the Premier League a couple of years ago. It, it's centre half for me. I think that's where the problem is. Michael Hector's just not a Premier League footballer. Um, he just isn't. Bless him. Uh, and and I think that's where the problem 
lies for me. You know, when they came up last time, one of the signings that I did quite like amongst all the money they were throwing around was they signed Alfie Mawson from Swansea, who just had a really good year, albeit in a, in a poor Swansea team. And I was really surprised it never quite worked out for him at Fulham. And, and I think he's moved on now, at least on loan. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's centre-half. If they could get somebody in, and I think we might touch on who needs what before the end of the show, but if we could, if they could get someone in at centre-half, that would be a big help for them. And of course, there is plenty of time left in the window. There is. Just just a quick point on, on Leeds. Uh, obviously, yeah, again, a very entertaining start from them. Um, I don't know if you think, there are there any hallmarks of sort of Norwich last season, you know, sort of starting off in a blaze of glory, goals left, right and centre, and then by October it fizzled out. And then again, they had a, a long gold second half of the season. Uh, I don't know what you guys feel about Leeds, if they can sort of go the distance or if they, if you think they'll, you know, this, this, they can't, can't have a four, three every week, right? You know, they'll, it'll <laughs> do more harm than good over the course of a season, I think. So yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on, on their, on their approach. I was very impressed with them at Anfield last week. Um, whether or not they can continue, it depends on, I, I think your first home game being a, a fellow promoted team is actually pretty kind um, will they be able to sustain that? I guess it depends on the fixtures. Like if you look at, I believe West Ham and Tottenham have got a terrible run of fixtures coming up, haven't they? That that might influence their season, um, and I, I think the same could apply for Leeds as well. Yeah, I think Leeds have got quite a kind start, and and you know obviously they had Liverpool on the opening day, but other than that, I think their next six or seven fixtures are, are not too bad from memory. So. Um, Getting off to a good start is important for them. I think they've probably got better players than Norwich had this time a year ago. Um, but it, it, it is a legitimate question as to can they maintain. And again, like we've said before, with, with Bielsa and his style of play, can they maintain that tempo in a, in a Premier League environment for, um, for 38 games? One thing I will say, though, Khan, is that no one in the Leeds team can match um, Todd Cantwell's her... <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. I, <laughs> there's a few interesting, uh, <laughs> few interesting top knots floating around in that Leeds team. So <laughs> there is a couple of top knots. Yeah, bad top knots. Yeah. Um, Can I suspect you're going to want to hog the uh, the conversation <laughs> for the next few minutes as we uh, move on to the final? Is it is it time? <laughs> it, it, we can't put it off any longer. I'm afraid we've started wasting time talking about haircuts. So I really can't put it off anymore. <laughs> um, I just think yeah. United United have have picked up not from where they left off at the end of the season because they, they finished the season quite well, but before the lockdown, I, I thought it was a typical pre-lockdown United performance, and I just don't see where United have actually improved despite the the, the good run they had at the end of last season. But go on, calm, tee off. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a, fa- a fair comment. It, it absolutely looked like uh, a sort of up up to January type of performance um from us so yeah it was it was incredibly disappointing i think just from you know reading some of the the post-mortems after the game you know i think the consensus seems to be that a lot of the, you know the reason that it looked a bit like a pre-season game is that it, it, it almost was for a lot of the players i think i think we've actually only had one actual pre-season game um and with a lot of the players being on international breaks and so on um, I think it maybe maybe just found them caught, caught short and, and lacking fitness, but it, it, you know it didn't really look like we'd we turned up at all. Um, so you'd have to hope that it's that's one of those opening day anomalies, and we we get our act together 
um, and improve the match fitness and the sharpness and 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 sort of uh, you know which which we'll need to do because the games come thick and fast, right? As we all know. Um, so I, I'm I'm trying not to read too much sort of doom and gloom into it. It obviously wasn't wasn't great at all in terms of performance or results. Um, but I'm equally trying not to think of it as that's going to be the norm uh, going forward. But I think what what is a, a valid point going back to the around it being the sort of pre-lockdown type performances that, you know, a lot of those problems that that were there then are are still there now. You know, we, we obviously had the signing of Bruno Fernandes that sort of galvanised us, but he's only one player, right? You know, he's not he's not 11. And the, the, the problems we've had at, you know, sort of defensive midfield, centre-back, full-back and so on um, that, that have been there for a couple of years now, really, are, are, haven't, gone, haven't gone away anywhere. Um, and due, you know, due to what looks like you know general inactivity in the transfer market, don't look like they're going to get addressed in the, in the short to medium term either. Um, you know, was reading today that apparently we're we're sort of categorically not looking for a centre back because Solskjaer's happy with what he's got, um, which yeah makes you makes you wonder what's in the air around those parts of uh, <laughs> those parts of Cheshire. But uh, you know. Um, yeah, so that's so that means you know looks like it's going to be presumably uh, you know Maguire Lindelof as first choice for the rest of the season. So how can we expect to see any progress when you know we know what those players can and can't do? We know what the strengths and weaknesses are. Um, so beyond coaching, we can't realistically expect any dramatic improvement there. Um, so that's now that's essentially Ole and, and his management team putting that on them to figure out how to get the best out of them if they're saying that they're happy with them. So as a fan, you just have to show show a bit of faith and hope that they've got a plan. But, um, you know, I, I don't really see how that's going to drastically change. Um, you know, we seem intent on buying, you know, more attackers. Um, and that's great, but it's not going to solve those <laughs> those underlying problems. They're need. still going to be there. Uh, no, no, I agree. I mean, you know, we could, you know, having having strengthening in that area isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it would be four or five down the list of priorities um, ahead of the three positions I just mentioned, you know. Um, so it does seem strange that we, we appear sort of hell-bent on on getting a Sancho slash right-sided attacker. And, you know, that seems to be what uh, what Ole said he wants and, and just seems to be kind of glossing over uh, what I think we all see are deficiencies in in other areas that need to be more urgently addressed. But for whatever reason, uh, seems happy with what we've got, we've got. Like I say, you know, signing uh, Matic up for another three years seemed a bizarre move. Um, you know, so it's just yeah, you do sort of have to question some of the approaches uh, that we take at the club uh, sometimes, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, there we are. But yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you. I'll hand over to you guys and get your get your takes on it as well. Because it'd be interesting to hear uh, your thoughts as well. But go go easy on me. <laughs> I definitely think um, the middle of midfield remains an issue uh, in terms of that. I don't know what you want to call it. That more defensive minded midfield player, as you've just said, can they? They signed Matic up for three years. I, I think Matic's legs have have long since gone. Um, uh, you know, he can still do a job, but it, it's not a job that's going to get you anywhere near winning a, a Premier League. Um, you know, Scott McTominay was was awful, frankly, on Saturday. Um, and, and then Fred's never really quite nailed down that spot since they signed him. So I think there's a question there. Um, I was surprised that he didn't start Mason Greenwood and that he started um, Dan James. I'm not quite sure where that came from. Because uh, at the end of last year, Greenwood seemed to be in the side and playing really well, um, so I, I didn't quite get that uh, 
that selection. Um, I didn't think Rashford or Martial played very well at all either. I think the the thing that you have to say and shouldn't get lost in the Manchester United conversations, I thought Crystal Palace were excellent. I thought they were really good value for their their victory. They had a very simple game plan. Um, they had a nice shape about them. And when they got the ball, they attacked Manchester United in the channels. And uh, both Andros Townsend and Wilfred Zaha caused United all sorts of problems. Um, Zaha obviously got himself uh, a couple of goals. Townsend got the other. Um, you know, and, and, and when you look at it, uh, Crystal Palace have, have won two from two. And they were one of the teams I thought might have a, a, a slow start. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's a... a there's two sides to that match. Manchester United really didn't turn up. Whether being a week behind in their preparation, having had the extra long break, was a factor or not, I don't know. I suspect we'll we'll see what Manchester City look like um, later this evening. Decide that it doesn't matter whether you played last week or not. Um, but maybe maybe that won't be the case. Um, but, but I think the fact that United were a week behind might be a mitigating factor. But it wasn't impressive from them. Crystal Palace were really good. I, I was impressed yeah. with, sorry, Oh no, no, go on, go on, Dan. I was, I, I was, I was impressed with Crystal Palace as well. I thought they played really well, as as Paul said, a, a simple game plan. Um, when they went two 0 up, and this is going to seg into a couple of couple of debatable decisions this weekend, to say the least. Um, they deserved to be two 0 up at the time, but the way it happened, um, that's not handball. I'm sorry, it just isn't. No, I, I, my understanding of what they've now done with the rule on accidental handball is that it isn't punishable except when it's a shot at goal or a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Now, I suppose you could argue that that was a shot at goal from Jordan Ayew. Um, not a very good one. Not a very good one. It kind of wasted the opportunity and just sort of toe-poked it roughly in the area of the, of the in the random direction of the goal. Now... Lindelof has stood about a yard away from him and it's it's hit him on the arm and his arm's kind of coming across the front of his body. I don't think it's in an unnatural position. I don't think it's away from the body as such. Um, and if you go back and look at the clip, I thought what was really interesting, not a single Crystal Palace player, not Ayu, nor I think it was Townsend and Zahara who were sort of running into the box as well when you see from the wide shot, nobody appeals. Not one player. The game goes on. Marcus Rashford has a shot at the other end. Goodness only knows what they'd have done if that had gone in the top corner. But the game goes on. Marcus Rashford has a shot at the other end. Then suddenly they bring it back. And, and Atkinson, after consulting with the um, the video ref, who I think I'm right in saying, Dan, was John Moss. I believe um, it was. <laughs> which fills you with no confidence. Um <laughs> yeah, exactly. Atkinson gives a penalty. Um, it was the worst penalty I've ever seen in my life from Jordan Ayew. Uh, um, uh, De Gea saves, and then you get to the second controversy, which is, was he off his line? Now he was, but by a millimetre or two. I mean, that rule was, was sort of tightened, the goalkeeper coming off the line rule. Because of your mate Jersey Dudek, Dan, who when he saved the the vital penalty in that Champions League final from Shevchenko, had almost played Shevchenko offside. He was that far <laughs> out of his goal. Um, but uh, you know, I don't think the rule was brought in for the fact that a goalkeeper has to move his feet in order to be able to dive. You know, I I, I just thought both by the letter of the law, I can just about see it's a shot on goal. It's hit a hand. And by the letter of the law, I can just about see that De Gea's, you know, an inch off his line. But I don't think either of them really are, are common sense decisions. Um, 
And, you know, we'll get onto some other handballs about the, over the weekend, but I didn't think it was a penalty. I thought it was a bad decision. I thought they got the decision right, and then John Moss got involved, and surprise, surprise, he tended up wrong. Um, and uh, and then, as I say, I just thought that the making them retake the penalty was ridiculous. Um, notice Roy Hodgson didn't let Jordan Ayew grab the ball again, though, when they had the retake <laughs> penalty. Um, yeah, I think he was as far away from the scene as possible, and Zaha smashed it into the into the roof of the net. So, yeah, um, it was a good penalty. Some strange decisions, uh, but I think I think most Manchester United fans that I've seen commenting on social media, etc., have been quite sensible about it and said, you know what, we deserve to lose the game. So, bizarre refereeing decisions or not that shouldn't take away from the fact that the Crystal Palace were the better team on the day. Yeah, I, I think just on the on the decisions, I mean, it seems that uh, you know, there's always controversy now around anything kind of VAR related. And I think there's always a debate of, is it, is it the rule that's at fault or or the use of the VAR? Or, or sometimes it's a bit of both. But do you think that this, this sort of handball scenario is going to become like that is 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 it one of the flavor of the month things that the sort of these refereeing unions seem to have where it's the one thing that always gets picked up on in minute detail when other rules seem to get sort of you know they're a bit more lax on but there always seems to be one thing every season that whether it's because they've had a briefing on it or whatever it's all oh, no we'll we'll bring the game back because of that um, so, so actually, the, the goalkeepers off the line is one of the things that they've been expressly told to look out for and clamp down on this season. Again, I don't know who's told them that that's a massive problem, but but that mm. seems to be one of the things that they've had a directive on. Um, I don't know about the handballs. I think, to be honest, handball has been a problem since we've had VAR. You know, I go back a couple of years to the Lorente goal in the Champions League against uh, Manchester City for Tottenham. Um, you know, there were a number of incidents last season where handball just seemed to be judged slightly strangely. Um, and then again, as I say, uh, there were a number of incidents. We'll come to the others, but but that was certainly one the the penalty for Palace on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, from from my perspective, um, I don't think it was handball. I don't think Lindelof has got time to handball it on purpose. No. Um, it, it's just, it's just hitting, um, and as a, a fully paid-up member of the goalkeepers' union, um, I think there's far more important things in football that we can be cracking down on than that. Um, yeah. And in, in my opinion, they were two wrong decisions, and therefore, if I could have chosen one referee who would have got the decision right, gone to the TV screen, and then got the decision wrong, it would be Mr. Atkinson. With the aid of John Moss. With the aid of John Moss. John Moss is never far from the scene, Paul. Um, we'll, we'll stay with you, actually, Paul. The, the, the late game on Saturday was Arsenal against West Ham. You, you weren't particularly impressed. I did think I did. I, I only really caught the second half of this game. Uh, Bolton weren't involved with this time. It was just tea time. Um, I, I actually thought West Ham looked quite good from the bitter saw of it. Yeah, I think West Ham were unlucky not to get something. Um, I didn't think Arsenal played very well at all. Uh, started sloppy. Um, had sort of 10 minutes after we took the lead where we where we perked up a little bit. But then West Ham ended the first half while deserved their equaliser right on half-time. And then had the better chances for the most part in the second half. It was it, it was a little bit of quality at the end from, from Bakaya Sacco who played a lovely little reverse ball into the into the channel for Ceballos and he just rolled it across for Nketiah to tap it in. I, I didn't think Arsenal deserved to win the game. I thought it was a poor performance. I think we're at the moment we are a little bit more comfortable in games where we are 
in our shape and then exploding out of our shape on the counter-attack and and, uh, and breaking quickly with pace. I think we look a little bit less comfortable in games where we're playing against a slightly lower block and we have to organically come out of our shape to try and create the angles and the spaces on the pitch to make chances. I don't think we've quite got that bit right yet, um, which is, you know, part of the development of the team. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if in a few home games time, Arteta has another look at whether at home he can go back to a back four. He did it in the last home game of the season against Watford last year. And we defended really badly. And I think he's kind of abandoned it as an experiment. But it wouldn't surprise me for him to have another look at whether at home against the teams who maybe we, we think we've definitely got better players than, whether he looks again at a, a different shape, more of a 4-3-3 than a, than a 3-4-3. Um, but I didn't think it was a great performance. West Ham played much better than they did the week before against Newcastle. Um, and I think David Moyes was right at the end of the game when he said West Ham didn't deserve to lose. Well, that sounds like something that David Moyes would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he says that every time West Ham lives, but on this occasion, I think he was right. Yeah. A question that I've got from from that game, which I'd like to to invite you both to to challenge me on, is I I think that uh, Mikel Antonio could play for a much bigger, uh, well, not bigger, but a, a better team than West Ham. Yeah, he's he's an unusual player. He's he's a bit of a handful. Um, and he seems to cause Arsenal plenty of problems. So if he could go to a team, if he could go to a team outside of England, that'd be nice. <laughs> well, if if, if Tupor Motting can turn up at PSG, well, exactly. I mean, I think the one the one other thing we were going to touch on Dan was the Gabriel handball appeal. Yes. Um, uh, on the uh, in the first half of that game, I think Arsenal were one 0 up at the time. Which again, when you look at the there wasn't a lot of distance there. The sort of header got flicked on and kind of he went to try and head it away and it, it bounced on his sort of elbow area. Um, he was a little bit further away than Lindelof was from IU, but equally when you look at the, the rule, that wasn't a clear goal-scoring opportunity or a shot at goal. Um, again, I, I didn't think it was a penalty, but I can completely understand why if, you, you know, if you're a Manchester United fan and you say, well, how is the one against Lindelof a penalty when he's you know, four yards closer than, than that one? Uh, it, it does bring up this horrible question of consistency. I didn't think it was a penalty against Gabriel. I didn't think it was a penalty against, against uh, Lindelof either, though. So, um, you know, it, it does just show again that the consistency isn't quite where we'd like it to be. Uh, no, I think that, I think that's fair. I think the only, the only um, thing I was just just reflecting on a bit was uh, about put, put, well, I won't say poor old West Ham because uh, I don't really have any any sympathy for them. If you if you appoint David Moyes, then you know you know what you're going you know what you're going to get. But uh, yeah, they just they just seem to be uh, they seem to be in a bit of a miserable state, don't they, West Ham? I don't know if they really know what they want. Um, you know, I know there's been a lot of unrest there over the summer, you know, players being sold that the, the team aren't happy about. And, and they just seem in, in, in a bit of a rut and like a continuous rut. Um, and, you know, you think what what can they realistically, realistically expect, you know, this season? They're probably not going to go down, are they? But probably won't finish top half either. Um, it just, you know, it's just <laughs> must must be quite sort of strange, I suppose, as a, as a fan sort of going that you, your fate's. You know, almost sealed. Um, you know, before a, before a ball's kicked to just be in that sort of mid-table. Uh, you know, so I, maybe that's where the frustration stems from that they just seem to be continually in that in that loop. Um, and you know, whenever they do have a, a decent player, you know, like I say, they, they tend to get uh, 
get gets poached off them because it, it feels like the owners would rather rather have the money in the pocket than uh, than have it invested on the pitch. Um, so yeah, they're just just a very you know this, I mean I don't know how many seasons it's been now since they moved to the you know the big uh, the big plastic stadium, but uh, you know it hasn't obviously hasn't really worked out in any way, shape, or form. And you just think how many of those fans would rather just go back to being you know the sort of the old old West Ham at the Berlin ground and just crack on rather than this sort of faux ambition that they've shown that isn't you know isn't, isn't really any form of ambition at all um and they're now just a you know sort of fairly poor to middling club in a massive stadium uh, that everyone hates <laughs> it's just it's just a very it's just they just it's, you know they're just they're in a really strange i don't know if you guys feel the same or if yeah yeah well, with but, ownership as well that, it, that doesn't seem to be popular among the fan base yeah so you know there, there isn't a lot there I, I agree that's sort of hugely um hugely easy to be enthused about as a West Ham fan. But I do think I would take some positives from their performance on Saturday because when the way they played against Newcastle on, on the opening game, I thought if they play like that every game, they're, they're going to be in trouble. Um, the performance they put in at the Emirates is is easily good enough to do exactly what you've just said, Colin, which is finish in the mid-table morass somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought West Ham played quite well, but it'll be a rainy day in May before I feel sorry for David Moyes. Um, if we then switch our focus to Sunday when we had four games and we have two tonight and I'm really living the Mitchell and Webb sketch all of the football all the time, all the, time. Live. the football never stops every minute a game presumably meaning something to someone somewhere um, but I actually did really enjoy um, the early game which was Southampton against Spurs Um it's a strange game because it was coming up to half-time, 1-0 to Southampton, and it could have been 3 or 4, and then suddenly Sun scores a goal out of nowhere, and in the second half, Tottenham were absolutely rampant. Yeah, it was a, it was a funny it was a funny game, and I think you know <laughs> the point you mentioned around uh, Paul about Scott Mop, Scott Parker saying his defenders need to smell the danger. I mean, I don't know what Southamptons need to do, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's I just don't. I mean, it is it was like you know the second half in particular it was it was kamikaze. I mean, I just don't understand how as a Premier League club you can play that way and try and defend that way if you can even call it defending and expect not to get, uh, especially at a team like Spurs when you've got a you know Kane and Son sort of firing on all cylinders and we're you know we're clearly both up for it on the day. Like, I just don't know how you can think, yep, this is the right thing. This is what we want to do as a team. It just seems seems baffling. I mean, I've got a lot of time for Hasenhutl. I think he's he's a good guy and you can see what he's trying to do there, but. There are surely times where you just have to rein it in, and uh, it was almost like they did literally just gift them a few goals in the second half, and it's just I don't know, very, very, very bizarre. I understand they're sticking to your principles, but there's surely a time where you know you need to revert to a to an alternate plan, uh, but they seemed reluctant to do that, and as a result, they've been humiliated, and, and not for the first time, you know, because there was obviously the the even bigger humiliation last season. Um, now last season he hadn't been there as long so you can say well do you know what it's a newish manager trying to you know sort of sort things out there but you know he's had a, he's had a full season now and I just don't think there's really any excuses um, for that for that sort of uh, that sort of performance really but but as you say before then they, they were quite equally matched so they're a very very Jekyll and Hyde performance from them but uh, yeah I, I, don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are Paul yeah I I, I mean I'll come back to Southampton in a second. I think that that goal right before half-time for, for Son might mm. be a bit of a defining goal for Tottenham because I didn't think they really looked as though they got much of an idea about how they were going to 
get back in the game before then. And I, I think that goal clearly gave them a huge confidence boost. And they came out the second half and, and you know, Con, you're absolutely right. Southampton's defending was a mess. But but Spurs played really well in that second half and thoroughly deserved the win. I mean, I'm a huge Son fan. I, I, I don't like many Tottenham players. Fantastic. But um, but Son's brilliant. He's an absolutely outstanding footballer. Uh, dangerous every time he gets the ball. Kind of doesn't play a position. That's what I love about him. He, it doesn't matter where you start him on the pitch. What he's fantastic at is finding where the spaces are in in the opposing defence. And um, yeah, he starts nominally on that left-hand side, but he ends up all over the front line and he's just a really talented player. Uh, Southampton, I, you remember that. I was quite high on Southampton at the end of the last season. I think they had the fourth best record in the Premier League post-lockdown. But we had this discussion then about the fact that they started last season painfully slowly and were kind of in trouble come November time and then went on a terrific run. And I don't know what it is that Hassan Hoodle does um, in the preseason and in the very shortened preseason that we've had this year. Uh, but not much would seem to be the answer because they seem to start the season, whether we begin in August or uh, September. Um, Southampton seem to start really slowly. I watched the game the week before and we talked about that at Crystal Palace and I thought they were really disappointing. And then, yeah, the second half, they just capitulated on Sunday. Um, I'm, I'm not worried yet that Southampton are going to be in a relegation battle. I think they've got too many good players. I think they'll be okay. Um but you can't. Burn, uh, Bournemouth found this, didn't they? They they had a number of years where they get off to slow starts and they'd be all right because it was Bournemouth and they got good players. Um, but you know, if you just if you can't quite find that next gear when it when it kicks in around Christmas time, then then they will be in trouble. So they need to they need to get some results on the board pretty sharpish, I think. I can tell you one thing that Southampton haven't worked on in pre-season: defending. No, well, exactly. <laughs> it was uh, it was a mess, but. Um... As you've already said, I, I mean, I, I said this to you too on Sunday um, that I, if I could get one player from the Premier League to come to Liverpool, it would be it would be Son. And it, what for emphatic finishes? Yeah, yeah, he's, I'm, he's I'm a, a real talent. I'm a, I'm a fully paid up member of the of the Son fan club as well. I know you've, you've waxed lyrical about him before, but uh, yeah, c- completely agree on everything you just said. And he, he gives certainly gives Tottenham, and I think would give almost any side, you know, some, something different. Because I think I think you point such a really good one, Paul, that you know he doesn't really play a position as as such. Um, so there, yeah, there aren't that many players like him around, and I'm I'm surprised, in all honesty, there hasn't been more sort of. Uh, more interest in him really from from mm. sort of you know the, the the sort of bigger clubs both both here and abroad you can easily mm. see him fitting in at a Barcelona or somewhere like that um, well especially I, I think anyway but especially and I, I don't mean to make it cynical because because Son's where he is completely on merit and talent as a footballer but there is a marketing opportunity there as well in in the Far East which you would think might be attractive to some of those bigger clubs who who care a lot about selling shirts as well as winning football games so yeah I'm I'm slightly surprised that there hasn't been an attempt to take him from Spurs I don't know if some of that was maybe about the um he had his national service still to do didn't he but that's out of the way now as I understand it so mm. um I don't know whether maybe I'm not sure how old he is, but whether there might be some interest coming because he he's such a good player. Really, really fantastic footballer. Um, I, another game that I caught all of on Sunday was um, Newcastle against Brighton. Um, I, I don't know what was going on in the first six minutes, but whatever Steve Bruce had lined up, Alan Sat McMahon was not listening. 
Yeah, it's a bad result for Newcastle, having played really well at West Ham um, on the opening day, to come home and be 2-0 down in, what was it, seven or eight minutes against Brighton. I missed the first goals because I switched over um, and was watching the uh, NFL build-up and thought, oh, the Newcastle game will have kicked off now, I'll, I'll switch back. Um, and I'd already missed Brighton being two 0 up, and Steve Bruce taking a sort of big sigh on the on the yeah, on the touchline was basically the first view of that game I got. Um, I, I thought it was disappointing from Newcastle. They may be a team, Dan, that really misses the home advantage that you get from the fan base up there. Yeah, agreed. The fans often roll them home in, in close games. This wasn't a close game, though. I, I think the Newcastle left hand side might have joined you watching the NFL. <laughs> um, Jamal Lewis and, and Sam Maximum. Sam Maximum actually went off um, injured and it didn't get much better. Um, T- Tariq Lamptey was flying up and down that right hand side. He was awesome. He was manning the match by some distance and he only played 60 minutes. Yeah, he looks a really good player, doesn't he? I'm not quite sure. Not, it seems as though he left Chelsea because he was like, no, I want to go and play and I don't believe I'm going to play here. And if he did and turned down bigger clubs in Brighton because he thought he was going to go and play at Brighton, then absolutely good luck to him because that's the sort of attitude you want from a, a young player who, who wants to try and make it in the game. Yeah, I was doing a bit of reading up on it earlier and it looks as though that is more or less the, the case either. And apparently uh, Chelsea don't have a buyback option um, so, uh, you know, regardless of what happens, you know, they won't be able to just hook him back uh, easily, too easily either. But it, but also, what you know, it does seem to be a bit of a trend now, and it's, and it's a good one where players are sort of taking, you know, younger players are taking control of, of their, own, uh, their own destinies a bit more and uh, not just... Sure? Well, it, it, indeed, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's one of the, the sort of shining examples who said, you know, thanks but no thanks. I mean, okay, you know... Dortmund are a pretty big club and certainly bigger than Brighton, but uh, but you know, but even so, um, it does seem to be a bit more of a a bit more of a trend. And, and good luck to them because I think there was a, there was seemed to be a generation of young players that just got lost in that loan system. And Chelsea were one of the worst clubs for it as well for hoarding young players and just loaning them out, um, you know, year after year. So hopefully we start to see a bit of an end for it. And, and actually get get players out, you know, playing for clubs and and, and making decisions like that and using. You know some of the examples we just mentioned as as a as as, as a, a case to to think well yeah actually I can go off and, and get a game somewhere and and do it that way and and try and get a move back to a to a bigger club which if they keep going the way they are they they almost certainly will uh, rather than just you know sitting on a bench or or playing in the reserves or or out on loan somewhere where you you know you never really feel like you belong uh, so yeah good good on them. And one more note on Brighton, Dan, because I know you know Brighton are the sort of club that we could be accused of just glossing over every week. But I think really big for them that, that Mopé got a couple of goals. I think, uh, I've talked before, my worry with Brighton is always, will they score enough? And I think if anyone's going to, it will be him. Um, so for him to get a couple of goals and, and kind of get off the mark uh, is really big, I think, for them, for the, the season as a whole. Yeah, um, Brighton... Never seem to score. It, it, it doesn't seem like they score more than once often. So for them to, to score three times um, away from home is, is a very very impressive result. And you know what? They actually played really well against Chelsea on the, the, the that Monday as well. Um, they were just they were right back in the game, and then uh, that that screamer 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was just bad timing, wasn't it? Because they just got themselves level, and then I mean, I say they got themselves level. Kepper got them level, <laughs> and then and then uh, more of which to come. And then Reese James scored an absolute screamer. Um, so yeah, I I, I think uh, I, I think I've been pleasantly surprised with with the start Brighton have made. Yeah, yeah, and it's nice to see Adam Lallana wasn't seriously hurt as well. Um, I, I, I said keeping him fit last week would be a big challenge, and of course, later on that night, he, he hobbled off with cramp after 40 minutes. You don't see that very often. Not from professionals, no. No. Um, you just mentioned Kepper. I think that's a very, very stylish and smooth way to, to move on to the game at Stamford Bridge, where the champions went to a ground we don't tend to do too well, but Jurgen Klopp can't stop winning at, um, at Stamford Bridge. Um, I was really impressed with how we set up, how we played. Um, we were in control of the game um, before Christiansen put Sadio Mane in the TAS mission and tried to choke him out. Um, Frank Lampard said that it, it wasn't definitely a red card. Uh, well, Frank, you definitely don't have a head the size of a small planet, but <laughs> you, you do. It was a red card. Um and you know that Chelsea stuck in, stuck it at it, but um, you cannot give a team like Liverpool an extra man. There's two teams you really don't want to go down to ten against. One's Manchester City, the other's Liverpool. Um, we just controlled the ball, ran the legs off them, scored two quick goals. One aided by the the, the, the one goal handicap as you described him yesterday, Paul, um, and uh, nearly had a bit of a scare, but Allison saved. Uh, Jorginho's penalty I think Jorginho's been asking for that um, his little hop skip and jump as a goalkeeper myself not a very good one but a goalkeeper all the same um, I always dive late for penalties and I'm surprised more pros don't do it to be honest because you get a save like that or you throw your hat on it job done six points from six very happy with that result because I think it's a good time to play Chelsea they've got a few injuries and they've got a new a lot of new players to try and embed in so I'm glad that's out the way yeah, they look. They don't look settled at all to me, Chelsea, at the moment. They don't look as though they've really worked out what their team is, what their team's going to be. They've still got players that they signed that aren't fit to play yet, the likes of Chilwell and Silva. And I do think, you know, I've talked about it at length, their defence is awful. So they need those players in quickly. Um, their goalkeeper's liability, they've signed a new goalkeeper. I think that deal is now done, isn't it? The the um, the guy from, I think he's coming from Ren, is he? Is that I, I think that's I think that's pretty much done now. Um, they need that to happen quickly. Uh, there was an interesting discussion on match of the day two last night. I, I don't know if anybody caught it. I caught the end of it, um, where Shearer and Murphy were discussing in hindsight, knowing that you were going to bring another goalkeeper in to take his place, whether it's worth even have started Kepper for those first two games, or whether you'd have played Caballero, who you know isn't is not great and not the answer, but at least he's going to still be at the club as a deputy. And, and kind of everybody, including Kepper, must know he's on borrowed time. Um, it's a fair question and, and one in hindsight that maybe Frank will have a think about. I just didn't think at any point, even before the sending off, there was any danger of Chelsea winning the game. No. No, I didn't think they didn't think they really looked like they had... Their, their approach seemed to be... And Frank said after the game, oh, um, we looked dangerous a couple of times on the counter-attack with Werner. Well, to me, that looked like they cleared it, and then <laughs> ten players, ten players stayed behind the ball, and Werner tried to run against the whole Liverpool defence. That's not looking dangerous on the counter attack, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think the um, it's interesting with with Chelsea. It's a bit of a a modern football microcosm over the last week or two because 
you know, a week ago, they, they, they'd done what one of my friends refers to as winning winning the transfer window. Um, <laughs> but it's like you also do need to, like, play games, guys. You know, you actually do need to play well. Um, so there's one thing like having, you know, sharing the list of all the players you've signed on Twitter is great. But then you know, actually it matters <laughs> what they do. It matters what they do when they're on the pitch as well. That There is that slight, you know, actually have to turn up and play a game of football every every now and again. Um, so, yeah, maybe a bit of a reality check there. Um, for, for in the Chelsea camp, and yeah, I think, like you say, much, much for Frank to ponder. Um, and they I need to, the other... oh, need to start by getting them all on the pitch, and that's the thing. Chilwell and Silva need to get fit and get on the pitch because the back four is awful. Yeah, and there uh, seems and to yeah. be an issue with Rudiger as well, doesn't there? Rudiger wasn't in the eighteen yesterday. Now I don't think Rudiger's great, but he's better than Christensen and Zuma. So it's really interesting. Uh, and then obviously uh, when the sending off happened, they brought Tamori on who was on the bench, who I think is a talented young kid. But there's an issue there if Rudiger can't get in the 18 when those two are the starting centre-halves. Something doesn't quite smell right there. Did I hear mm. that Tamori's possibly going on loan to Everton as well? I heard that rumour, yeah. yeah that, so, I think I heard that yesterday. Um, it's bizarre if you're about to loan him out that you're playing him in, in front of somebody who's, you know been in in recent years a key part of your team can i just double check we've, we've got three red cards here haven't we it's it, it was definitely a red card it's not just me making that up you you all agree with me there right oh yeah it was definitely a red card i mean and, and again uh, yeah. I, i'm surprised you didn't hear me I, i'm in st Helens. you're both in london i'm surprised you didn't hear me screaming at the television when mr tierney come wandering over with a yellow card um, yeah, it was it was definitely a red card for me, Dan. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if the referees have been told to take the more cautious approach with regards to red card decisions, but that, to me, was, was a flagrant red card. He had him in the TAS mission. It's an MMA move to stop. Yeah. It, just, it, was, it was a crazy thing to do as well. But um, it, it, it was a game-changing moment, but as as you've already said, Paul, I think we were in complete control at that point anyway and um, brought Tiago off to on, off the bench to, to get uh, moving with his um, his Liverpool career, like what I saw, and hopefully there's more to come from him. Um, the, the, the late game, again, I really enjoyed this. This is a fabulous game of football at um, the King Power. Uh, Leicester 4, Burnley 2. I said to my wife, you don't want to fall behind to Leicester. Uh, no, because Burnley went in front. So you don't want to fall behind to Burnley. They're not the kind of team that you, you want to be chasing a game against because they dig in. But um, Leicester looked really dangerous, came from a goal behind and won the game with um, with change to Spur. Yeah, I didn't see the game, Dan, but I, the, the the result is, is an impressive result because, as you say, Burnley are, are a you know, they don't let him fall that often, Burnley. Um, and certainly when, when they get ahead, they can be a tough tough team to peg back. So um, it was an impressive win again from Leicester. They've started with two nice wins against West Brom and, and Burnley. Again, I've seen people asking Rodgers after the game about a title challenge. I think they need to, you know, just hold the horses a little bit there. Again, it might be a, a an express train. Con's not quite bought his ticket for. Um, you know, Leicester are a good side. They are a threat, I think, to finish in the top six again, as they as they did last year, finishing fifth. Um, but I don't think at the moment they're 
strong enough as a squad to, to think about a title challenge. And I don't think Leicester no, think that either. <laughs> yeah, that's no. a bit bizarre, I must admit. Um, I think, yeah, if they, if they can stay in the top six, I think that'll be a good season for them. Um, I think my, my only comment, I didn't I didn't see the game, unfortunately. I'm going to watch the highlights after this. Um, but... Um, or after the the City game, probably. But just interesting point that you mentioned last week because because I, I did listen to it <laughs> um, was uh, around God. Leicester, uh, around um, around where the goals come from from Leicester because they they won four two and what one man wasn't on the the score sheets. Mm, um, yeah. So maybe a bit of uh, you know maybe some signs there that other players are, are able to um, you know to chip in when when needed as well. Whether we'll see that through the season. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but it must must be encouraging for Rogers that I'm sure that must be something they look at for, for that exact reason that you mentioned. I think it was Paul, um, you know, beyond Vardy, they don't have many guaranteed goal scorers. It, it must be something Rogers is mindful of and, and has perhaps worked on a bit, um, you know, maybe in pre-season to look at how they can get other players into those those goal scoring areas. Um, with, with that being said, um, th- th- there are games on today, but we can't. Uh, review games that have have yet to happen. Um, Aston Villa are one 0 up late on against um, Sheffield United, who've been down against down to ten men since the tenth minute. I think um, that also was a red card, and they missed a penalty. Sheffield United and they missed a penalty. Yeah, they had the chance to go one 0 in front. Um, it, it'd be a big win for Villa. I think we talked last week about Villa getting off to a good start. They didn't play last weekend, so this is their first game. It would be a big big win to start them off with. Um, and Graham Scott's the referee and he, he actually got the red card right so I hold my hands up well done doesn't happen very often so and, and I don't mean me holding my hands up I mean Graham Scott getting it right <laughs> um, we've gone up to level 4 today in the Covid ratings if you will uh, the, the, the warning system um, do you guys think that we're going to have some disruption soon I know there's been a positive test in the Leighton Orient camp ahead of their game with Tottenham tomorrow. Uh, now Sky have still been advertising that as happening. I, I don't know whether that would be the case. There's been a positive test in Man City as well. I, I believe Gundogan's tested positive. All oh, right, okay, that's that's passed me by. So I think, look, um, I think it's a good a good point, Dan. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a long pause of all activity the way that we did um, back in back in March. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see individual games um, start to get postponed where there's been tests within the camp. Uh, you know, I think the Premier League's clearly doing a very good job. Players have been tested, I think, pretty much every day, if not if not every day. So, um, you, you know, that there is a method in place now that wasn't in place in March. I think we're much more aware now the way training grounds are set up, you know, even just watching the end of the, the Tottenham documentary on Amazon, you, you see the, the way that the training grounds have been adjusted to cope. So I think we're in a much better place as a, as a game to cope with it than we were when things first hit and, and Arteta tested positive back in um, that week in March, when all, all things sort of seemed seem slightly crazy, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if one or two games here and there fall by the wayside and have to be rearranged, and we end up with difficult calendars at the end of the season. It's one of the reasons why, as much as I'm a traditionalist about the FA Cup, I agree with the decision to scrap replays for the season. I think it's absolutely right. Um, I also think that there may still come a, 
a case at some point in the season where we have to think about whether we're really going to try and play the Champions League and the Europa League through to their conclusions in the normal way. Uh, there is a model now that worked last season that they can go to if they need to, if that frees up opportunities to finish domestic leagues. So I, I wouldn't expect us to have a complete shutdown, but I think there may be the odd bit of disruption. Yeah, I think that seems. Uh, I think that seems a, a fair, a fair assessment. I think that the leagues, the you know, from what I can, from the bits I've I've read, it looks like they are going to carry on for the reasons you've mentioned. That you know, things are a bit more understood now, and processes and measures are in place. But you know, I think the point around when you said around. Uh, scrapping replays i thought you were going to say scrapping the fa cup because it does almost <laughs> make you not permanently of course but it does almost make you wonder like you know do we do we really need to see a, a liverpool third string team against you know leighton orient or whatever in the current like is that really what the world needs at the, at the moment you know it just does uh, uh you know i just feel like maybe lines do need to be drawn somewhere and you know perhaps yeah uh, you know would it would it be that outrageous if the the two domestic cups didn't happen for a year given everything going on with the world, you know, would it be the worst thing in the world? I know obviously it comes down to sponsorship and money and all that, but uh, I certainly don't think there's actually that many clubs that I'd mind. Um, I, I would have, I would have scrapped the league cup. Yeah. My choice. I'd have scrapped the yeah. league cup for this season. I would. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'd, I'd have tried to carry on with the FA cup and see where we are at Christmas, but I'd have scrapped the league cup, but you know, mm. as you say, Con, there's money and sponsorship involved. And I think the league cup struggled for sponsorship in recent years anyway. So they, they might mm. be a little bit loath to, to do too much to interfere with it. I, yeah. I, I was just, just about to say, Paul, I've got a, a problem with your statement there. Not this season, just scrap the league cup. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's um, favourite competition. Just, just give it to Manchester City. Just like, like, like you said, Sevilla. Just give Sevilla the Europa League. Give Manchester City the League Cup. Done. Sorted. I'm happy with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's a question again about how clubs, how serious clubs are going to take it. And I think those games are this week, aren't they? There's a, yes. there's a whole range of Carabao Cup games this week. And there's you know, a lot of said, uh, nice ties as well, like Newcastle, Markham, Lincoln, Liverpool. Luton, Manchester United, there's, there's some there's some nice games. Yeah, Fleetwood and Everton, I think, is another one, isn't it? So there is some sort of, you know, some smaller clubs versus bigger clubs. You're loath to lose them, but I, you, you know, I just wonder, again, given what we're facing, whether that's the right tie. But hopefully we don't lose too much of the season. Hopefully we're, we're, we're unaffected. And, and of course, you've, you've got all these, these lovely ties, um, like Lincoln against Liverpool, for example. A friend of mine is from Lincoln, he's a Lincoln fan. He can't go and see it. No, exactly. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a shame. Kind of, it, it's a real shame. I mean, obviously, it's good for for Lincoln that they'll get a percentage of the TV money and and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's it takes a real shine off off the knockout competitions. There's no one actually there to see them. But um, yeah, um, I, I, I'm expecting some disruption. Just to to I know you neither of you are massive rugby league fans. Um, obviously, I am. What's been happening with the Super League is that individual games have been getting cancelled. Maybe two, depending on on the circumstances with track and trace, um, and those fixtures will have to be filled at a later date. What Super League have also done, which will never happen in a million years in football, is the league table has replaced points with a, a points per game average. So there are no points now; it's just points per game as an average. Yeah. Um, which it's going to be very difficult to, to split teams at the end of the season because I think the top four in Super League are separated by I think it's I think I think the top three have all got the same number of points so it's technically saying it's a top on points difference on top of average points per game um, 
you know, it's all all a bit messy and confusion. But the, the the idea is you have to play a minimum of fifteen games to qualify for the top four, which is then the playoffs, which is then leads to a final. Um, now, obviously, football doesn't have that problem, but um, yeah, rugby league has been quite badly affected by this, and um, there's not the amount of testing. There, there is significant testing, but not the the level of testing that goes on in the in the Premier League. So um, that that season has been hampered, but we're just trying to get through to the end of the season to make sure that the season finishes. Because um, whilst it would have been bleak for football teams if the season was voided, it could kill rugby league stone dead. So I, I'm I'm watching as as things change this week. We've gone up to level four, which is our is that the highest since the the grading began. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's certainly the highest we've been since right at the start of the of the pandemic. Yeah, um, so I, I hope as long as it's safe, football stays around because it gives gives me the entertainment I need to get me through some of these days when uh, I can't go and see my mum and dad or I, I can't do this, that, and the other. I can't go to. I, I really miss going to football. Actually, I'm sure you do too. Yeah, it, it's definitely different, and even even watching the games with with no fans in the stadium is still something we're getting used to. I think. Yeah, all of the games, Paul, because every game is live. The football <laughs> never stops, and um, the, the game tonight actually I'm really looking forward to Wolves against Man City. That's a, a big test for Manchester City. Yeah, it it it's a it should be a good game. I think I think Wolves will give them a game. I do expect Man City to get something, but um, you know, if Wolves turn up and play the best we've seen before, that they can they can cause anybody a problem. Well, they they did the double, I think, over City last year. Yeah, season. they did. That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah. Well, they they have. Um, I think they have brought in reinforcements, but obviously, you know, they they lost. Uh, you know, Jot. You know, Jota has just just signed for for for, for, for Liverpool there, uh, Dan, and uh, lost Doherty as well. So there have been a bit of. Uh, you know, there hasn't been too much sort of movement. You know, out of of Wolves, it sort of feels like you know because they've got a bit of bit of money and obviously the agent connections. There's been players coming in. What were you on about, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> don't know what don't know what you mean. <laughs> um, but uh, um, my yeah, the, my my second least favourite agent. So you can probably guess who my first is. But anyway, that's a separate uh, separate discussion. But um, yeah, so this is, feels like maybe the, the the first time they've they've perhaps had players almost sort of poached off them a little bit. So it'd be interesting to see how they kind of reorganise themselves. Um, you know, to account for those. So yeah, definitely will be interesting to see how they get on because they are something of a of a bogey team for, for City. They always seem to give them a game because actually they, they gave them a, a game before they got promoted, didn't they? In the cup, I think a couple of years ago. And even then, and then since they've come up, they've just always seemed to play well, even if they don't always win uh, City, you know, City always know they've been in a game against them. Uh, so they do just seem to have that, uh, that bit of an edge. Um, and yeah, as you said earlier, Paul, it'd be interesting to see if City is sort of caught cold in the way that, uh, in the way that United were, or if that's just going to blow my theory out of the water, <laughs> and it just turns out that United are just rubbish. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think just on Man City very quickly, like, and, and I know you kind of wanted to touch on transfers anyway, Dan. I, I'm surprised that they've not bought reinforcements in up front. Um, I know everyone still talks about them in the centre half, and I think that's right as well. They're starting with Ake and Stones tonight, and Stones has been seemingly out of favour for forever. So uh, you know that does just suggest again. You look at the bench; it, it's Otamendi there, and then you know not much else in in terms of defenders. So there is still a question of centre half. But I think if Aguero's out for two or three months, which it looks like he is, I'm just not sure whether whether Jesus is really going to kind of 
give them what they need in the in the intervening period. So I am surprised they've not brought a proper centre forward uh, type in as well. I know they've brought Torres in who can play wide from um, Valencia, and and they they have got the option to play other people through the middle. Raheem Sterling has played there on occasion, but I'm a little bit surprised they haven't brought a centre forward. The thing is as well is when it comes to the centre half problem, and for me that is a massive problem that City have. They've been linked, you know. Like there's been like discernible links. Like Kubalali is the one that everyone's talking about. They don't seem to have been linked with any centre forward. Even so much as linked. Mm, no, I agree. Um, um, fantastic though he is. Sergio Aguero is not getting any younger, and he's out till November at the earliest. Uh, I, 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 I just get the feeling. Unless things change, and obviously there's another two weeks till the window slams shut, as uh, as Jim White would say. Just imagine me wearing uh, yellow and black. Um, the well, don't. This is a family podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think City have closed like an eighteen point gap. I just I just don't feel as though they have. Yeah, I still think they definitely need that. They definitely need to add still. At the moment, I don't think they've necessarily done. I expect them to to be better, but um, I, I don't think they'll be. Uh, at the moment, I don't know if they're good enough to win the Premier League without having one or two more players come through the door. No, well, I mean, you know, L- Liverpool were were you know by by some distance you know, the the best team last season, and and they've got better. So it's it's not it's not about just even getting parity with. Uh, with last season Liverpool, you've got to think. Well, a, a great team has, has added in 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 sensible areas and brought in. I, I think you know a couple of really talented players. Um, so you've got that to contend with as well. It's not just matching where Liverpool were at last season. There's you know they, they could feasibly be you know be be even better this season. So um, yeah, it's a big job not just for City but for anyone trying to to have you know that has pretensions of winning the title um, has to consider that as well. Uh, whether we'll see quite the high points tally, you know, will remain to be seen. Um, I do think that the rest of the teams will be a bit more bunched up around there. Yeah, um, yeah but uh, but equally they, they need to, you know those, those teams like United and Chelsea need to start getting, getting their act together if they if they want to be part of that bunch. Um, but you'd imagine they will uh, sooner rather than later. It's all gone a bit quiet at Arsenal, Paul. Are you still looking to bring anyone in before the window slams shut? I think they would still like to do so. I think they've signed a goalkeeper today. Um, this this man who's got the same first name as surname, I think he's Icelandic, uh, Runar Runarsson. Um, I think that deal's done. Uh, the area that they still want to address, and I think it was shown up again on Saturday evening, is central midfield. Um, they they ideally, I think, at the start of the summer, would have liked to have brought both uh, party and or. I, I, oh, I can't really say the guy from Leon. Oh wow! Is um, it? it's, it's, I'm not sure it's like that. Yeah, AR. I, 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 um, I think they'd like to have brought them both in, uh, but that required them to get more bodies out of the door than they've been able to do. Um, I think you know Socrates is likely to go in the next week or so. Uh, Terreira possibly as well, although that looks like a loan and the and the. Hold up is whether it's an obligation to buy or a right to buy at the end of the loan. Um, but they haven't been able to get takers for Gwendozi. They haven't been able to get um, <laughs> Mr. Urzil off the wage bill. And as a result, I think realistically, the money that they've 
brought in for Emi Martinez and the and the money that they'll save on on getting the likes of Torreira and Socrates off the wage bill might enable them to do one of those midfield deals, but I don't think they'll be able to do both. Can United's eggs all in the Sancho basket? <laughs> I mean, honestly, your, your guess is as good as mine. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems as though that, like I said earlier, that that's who we're, we seem sort of hell-bent on signing, but not hell-bent enough to match Dortmund's valuation of him. Apparently, the player terms are all fine. It's the fee. Um, so whether we decide, you know, knowing us, you know, Edward, will all, he always blinks first. He'll just find 40 million at, you know, 11.59. Um, and it'll, it'll go through, you know, we know that's, that's how we do things. Um so yeah, we'll we'll have to see. But whether we'll, um, you know, and obviously, you, you know, despite you know mentioned there are other problem areas. I mean, it would obviously be fantastic, you know, to to see him in 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 the Premier League. And you know, he is a very exciting player. So there is part of me that you know is that, is that kind of like schoolboy fan. You know, you always want these kind of exciting players to come to your team. Um, but that that won't, uh, you know, it will it will help us. But it, it won't it won't make us any more solid uh, at the back. Um, so, you know, there's still a bit of, uh, there is still work to be done there, but like I say, I don't know if that's work that's necessarily going to be addressed, uh, you know, via, via transfers. We will keep an eye on the transfer situation as it, as it unfolds, um, in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it again. But in, in terms of the transfers that we, we made very suddenly over the weekend, quite unexpectedly, the, the movement, obviously Thiago had long been linked, but, um, he returned to Bayern for pre-season training, and you're suddenly thinking, well, maybe that's not going to happen. But um, from from the, the athletic, uh, the the excellent athletic, and James Pierce, it would seem as though Bayern accepted a quite heavily instalment-based transfer fee. Um, from from their point of view, it would seem that it's better to get five million a season for someone who's out of contract, and they could lose for free in twelve months. Um, and Yotta uh, really came from nowhere. I do like him. I think he's a good player. Um, it sounds as though I mean, if, if Edward Wood's got forty million down the back of his couch, can Ishmael Lissar from Watford is available for thirty-six million up front, and from from what I believe um, that was the, the sticking point with that deal, we weren't paying it. And um, there you go. We we um, launched for our alternate alternate, and I'm really pleased. I think he's a really good player, versatile. Good movements. I think he'll he'll do really well at Liverpool, and that was a problem position for us because with all the um, all the best will in the world, Divock is is not good enough to be the, 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 the drop off is too big from our front three. Yeah, Liverpool definitely needed another body up front. I'm my my, my thing a little bit with Jota. I, I, there's been a lot, and you sort of alluded to it there, Dan. A lot of he, he's oh he'll be a good squad player. I'm not sure. I think he's a squad player. I think he's a backup. Because to me, a squad player is somebody who there's a conceivable chance when everyone is fit and, and firing that you'd pick. And I don't know that I'd say I'd pick Diego Jota, uh, Diogo Jota, I think it's an O in his first name, um, over any of the front three at Liverpool. And, and yes, OK, that when that when they're injured, you're right, the drop-off is... is and equally, we know there's an African Nations Cup. We talked about that last time. And, and Mane and, and Salah may well be both missing a period of games in the new year. So I, I can see the sense in the deal. Um, the question for me will be, how do they keep him involved and, and match sharp between now and that period when they might need him around Christmas and the new year? Um, you know, balancing that with the fact that the front three they have are, are all excellent players and it, it's difficult to make a case for leaving one of them out. 
yeah, it's a nice problem to have. It's not a problem that we've had too often over the last 10 years. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a first world problem in football terms, Dan. I completely accept that. Um, but I, I did it, it did just pique my interest for that reason. In terms of other clubs who need to do things, I think we've already touched on at Fulham need the centre half. I think that's a major um, area of weakness for them if they're going to give themselves any chance to stay up. I think they need to improve defensively. Um, I still wonder. I know, and I think I think Villa are still winning, aren't they? As as, as we speak. Um, or maybe even have won, uh, but I think at one-one nil, I, I, I still think there might there might be someone else who can get a goal for Aston Villa. Uh, whether it's as a, as a central forward, they've, they've brought Watkins in from from Brentford. Maybe somebody who plays wide of that front three who who gets goals. Um, I think they, they've just done a deal or are about to do a deal for for Traore from Lyon who was at Chelsea as a kid, and maybe he's the answer. But I, I still think at Villa, there's, they need a few more goals in that side. Um, central midfield, I touched on last week, Newcastle central midfield. I think that's an area where, uh, and again, it was probably reinforced at the weekend, where they need to add one or two. Um, and Burnley just look as though they're very thin squad-wise. Yeah, there seems to be problems at Burnley. Sean Dyche doesn't appear to be too happy. And I, I know a couple of Burnley fans and they've both been carping about um, the squad being too small and it's going to come back to bite them. Yeah, I think that's a fair, a fair concern if you're a Burnley fan. Right, well, we've, uh, we've put the football world to rights there. Um, John Moss is still an idiot. VAR <laughs> is inconsistent and the handball rule is grim. Um, it's been fun, gents. Can it's been lovely to have you back. It's the first, uh, it's your first appearance for eight years. <laughs> Time flies, but yeah, no, great, great to be back. Thanks yeah. for having me. So, if if it's Khan's first appearance for eight years, is he a backup or a good squad player? <laughs> Love to find out. See what I'm like. <laughs> I've kept match fitness. Well, we've we've, we've changed to a front three. We've, we've changed formation to accommodate Khan. Is that important? <laughs> um, we'll be back next week and we, hopefully we'll be able to to get someone to speak to us about the Macclesfield situation um, we are going to try and do journalism when it's uh, when, when we can obviously me and Paul are both both qualified journalists so we should put that degree to use after all Paul yeah if we can if we can get someone on we'll, we'll definitely try and do that Dan yeah, and I'm going to be approaching um, someone who we used to go to Union with about speaking to us about how life has got going for AFC Berry. Yeah, that would be a really interesting thing to, to, to touch on as well. Um, so I'd like to thank you all for listening, especially thank you to the person in Sweden who's downloaded the podcast. I've been enthusing about that all week. A truly international podcast. Um, it's been a great time, gents, and we'll catch up with you all next week. Bye, Dan. Cheers, guys. Thank you.